Section 20 of Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kentucky's Famous Feuds and Tragedies by Charles G. Mutzenberg. Section 20. The French Eversole War, Part 3. The bodies of Eversole and Combs were conveyed to Hazard in the afternoon and consigned to their graves amid a great concourse of sorrowing people. Thus the bloody drama ends. The somber curtain of mourning falls. The story of the brutal assassination is finished. Justice hides her head in shame, for no one has ever been punished for it. The French faction was at once openly charged with responsibility for the outrage. French himself was indicted. So boldly and undisguised were these accusations circulated that French feared for his safety and again surrounded himself with men. He almost immediately withdrew from town and scouted through the country. If those who committed the murder of Eversole or their accessories had hoped to thereby crush the enemy, they found themselves sadly mistaken. The vacancy created by the death of Joe Eversole was quickly and ably filled by John Campbell, a man of acknowledged bravery, as well as caution, and well fitted as a leader in such a struggle. He surrounded the town with guards. Squads of men patrolled the streets. His force made repeated scouts into the neighboring hills. No man not in possession of the password could enter town. An unauthorized attempt to do so drew upon the rash, won the fire of many guns. Campbell had been for days in hourly expectation of an attack by French. He, therefore, believed it wise to resort to military methods and discipline. The rigid order to shoot anyone who dared to pass into town without first giving the password resulted in his own death. He was returning one night from his usual rounds, when, on approaching a sentry, he found him asleep. He ordered him harshly to arise, when the man, half asleep and dazed, threw the gun to his shoulder and fired. Campbell uttered a groan and fell heavily to the ground. The sentry, on perceiving his mistake, gave the alarm. The wounded chieftain was carried to his home, where an examination of his wound by the surgeons disclosed the fact that he had been fatally wounded. He lingered, however, for more than thirty days in intense agony before he died, the victim of his own precautions. During Campbell's leadership, one Shade Combs conceived the grand idea that he was the man who might summarily end the war by killing off certain obnoxious members of the French faction. He communicated his plans to Campbell, who furnished him the required men. But, by some means, Combs's intended victims had gotten wind of his scheme and forestalled it in such manner that the hunter now became the hunted. One fine morning, while saddling his horse, a well-directed shot from ambush ended his life. Such were conditions in Perry County during the summer and fall of 1888. 
people who had continued entirely neutral grew exceedingly nervous. One never knew when his turn would come next to die from a shot from the bushes. The law had utterly failed to give the citizens the protection to which they were entitled. The state and county government enforced the collection of taxes, but seemed unable to enforce the law. Had the people of Perry County withheld their hands from their purse strings and refused to pay taxes, we honestly believe that the high authorities would very quickly have found or invented a remedy for the lawlessness which was depriving the state of revenue. The citizens of Perry County would have been justified in a rebellion against taxation unless the government protected them in their rights. When people are taxed, they in turn are supposed to have their lives and property protected. When one consideration of a contract fails, the other may be avoided. On the 9th of October, 1888, the news of another assassination increased the terror of the people. Elijah Morgan, a French adherent, a man of courage and unswerving determination, was shot and killed within less than two miles of hazard, shot from ambush. On the morning of his death, he and one Frank Grace were on their way to town in pursuance of an agreement that had been entered into by him with members of the Eversole faction. Morgan was the son-in-law of Judge Combs, but in spite of all efforts from that direction to throw his influence with the Eversoles, he had continued to remain loyal to French, and for this he was promptly slain. His death had been decreed some time before this, but his shrewdness and knowledge of the tactics of his enemies had made him a very slippery proposition. A ruse was therefore resorted to. For a short time previous to his death, Morgan had frequently expressed his desire for peace, an earnest wish to lay down his arms, and to be permitted to return to peaceful pursuits. This commendable desire on his part assisted his enemies in the formulation of plans for his destruction. They assured him with every pledge of sincerity that he should not be molested, that he might freely come to town whenever he wished, that on a certain day, the day of the murder, if he would meet them at hazard, they would all renew the friendship that had existed until the feud tore them asunder. Morgan promised to attend the proposed peace jubilee. Little did he dream that the pretended friends were cold-blooded, calculating enemies, seeking his life under the miserable mask of friendship, that to be certain of success, to avoid any possible miscarriage of the plot, every avenue of escape had been carefully considered and guarded against. Assassins were placed at various points along the road and at convenient spots in town. The actors in the tragedy were all at their posts when Morgan stepped upon the scene, unknowingly playing the chief role. Within less than two miles, in fact, but little more than a mile from town, at a spot where the road is flanked by large overhanging cliffs on one side, and the steep river bank on the other, Morgan was fired upon. With a bullet in his back, he sank to the ground. 
A number of shots followed the first one. Grace was driven to cover. Morgan, in his death struggle, rolled over the river bank where a small tree arrested further descent. Grace, not daring to abandon his place of comparative safety, remained a helpless spectator of the agonies of his dying friend. Country people, traveling toward town, at last came to Morgan's relief, but he died within a few hours. As soon as the alarm had been given, a posse of his friends started in pursuit of the murderers, but nothing came of it. The French faction openly charged the Eversoles with the murder. The Eversoles expressed indignation at the imputation. They had no right to complain. On other occasions they had themselves preferred similar charges against French upon no better authority than suspicions based upon suspicious circumstances. The murder of Morgan had followed closely upon the heel of the assassination of Shade Combs, for which the Eversoles held the French faction responsible. Certainly there were some well-grounded suspicions that the slaying of Morgan was an act of retaliation on the part of the Eversoles. Now the state government and the circuit judge began to take a hand in the matter. It was time. Circuit Judge Lilly, a gentleman of the highest type, an able jurist, had somehow or other seemed unable to inspire the district with respect for his courts. This district embraced the counties of Breathitt, Letcher, Perry, Knott, and others. In each of those, lawlessness had spread to such an extent that the judge found himself defied on every hand and felt himself compelled to request the state to furnish troops for his courts. This led to the following spirited correspondence between the governor and Judge Lilly. Hazard, Kentucky, November 13, 1888 To the Governor of Kentucky Sir, Captain Sohan has succeeded in organizing a company of about 45 state guards in Perry County. He informs me that he has no orders and does not know whether he will be ordered back to Louisville or to go with me to Whitesburg, thence to Hindman, and thence to Breathitt, but in any event expects to be ordered away from here very soon. Mr. B. F. French is here with fifteen or perhaps more men, well armed, and the people are so much alarmed, fearing that they will be left to the mercy of these men, that I have decided that I will take the responsibility upon myself to order the Perry Guards on duty, hoping that you will approve my action and order them on duty, and let their pay begin on the seventeenth instant. I will not attempt to hold courts at Letcher, Knott, or Breathitt unless you send guards along. No good can be accomplished by holding courts in any of those counties without a guard. If a sufficient guard is present, I think that much good will be accomplished in and by the moral effect it will have on the people by showing them that you are determined to have the courts held and the laws enforced and to give protection to the good citizens. Please write me, and send by way of Manchester, as I shall return that way, 
and if I do not receive your letter here, can get it on the road. If you order the guard to go with me, I will go and hold the courts, if not provincially, hindered. I remain yours truly, H. C. Lilly. End of section 20